0: Welcome to the second patron-only episode of Conversations with Coleman. I'm right now on coronavirus quarantine like I imagine many of you are, and I hope you're all safe and healthy. Just a reminder, only supporters of the podcast will get the full 35-minute episode, but I'm sharing the first 10 minutes with everyone. Today I'm going to talk about colorblindness. The idea of being colorblind is now widely attacked in intellectual circles as a form of either naive idealism or a way of ignoring racism and white supremacy rather than dealing with it or overturning quote-unquote systems of oppression. And it's come under attack so fully that I really don't find anyone willing to defend it as an ideal, even though the intellectual and moral and political case for it seems very solid to me. So before I try to make that case, I just want to get clear on the terminology here. Colorblind is a word like warm-hearted or cold-blooded, which is to say it uses a physical metaphor, namely not being able to see color to name an underlying ethical principle, which is just the principle that in matters of ethics and politics, your race does not and should not matter. Many people get confused just about the terminology. Often the notion of colorblindness is attacked as if the physical metaphor were a literal statement. The idea behind being colorblind is not that you actually can't notice another person's race. Everyone notices race. Certainly everyone raised in America. But to say that colorblindness is impossible because the literal physical metaphor is impossible is a bit like saying that no one can be cold-blooded because actually our blood is warm. It's a simple misunderstanding. So what I'm defending here is not the literal metaphor of colorblindness. I'm defending the ethical and political principle that it names, which is that your race is a trivial part of your identity. And when we're thinking about right and wrong, and when we're thinking about politics and law, your race should not be recognized as an important variable. The only other word that gets used in this context is post-racial. And I'm frankly not sure which one is worse or more misleading. Post-racial seems to imply a time dimension that is confusing to me, as if there's one era that's racial, and at some point that we can mark, we'll enter an era that is post-racial. I think that totally misunderstands or misleads probably more than the physical metaphor of colorblindness does, which is to say the principle of colorblindness made as much sense when people like Frederick Douglass were advocating for it in the 19th century, as it does now. It doesn't depend on the time in which it's advocated. It's a timeless ethic, and that's precisely what makes it strong. It sounds uncontroversial enough to say that your race doesn't matter, or your race is not important. It's not what makes you who you are. It's not something you should be judged on. To repeat Martin Luther King's famous formulation, about judging the content of someone's character rather than the color of their skin, seems inoffensive enough on its face. But what that actually means, taken to its logical conclusion, is that all kinds of racism and racial discrimination and racial categorization are ultimately examples of the same moral error, which means it's as wrong to discriminate against someone because they're white as it is to discriminate against them because they're black, or Asian, or Hispanic. And that's where colorblind diverges substantially from the way we think about race in America today, certainly on the left. The opposite of colorblindness is race consciousness. This is the idea that in order to fight racism, we have to first acknowledge that race really does matter that the history of white supremacy in America lends skin color a meaning that it would not otherwise have, but does in fact have. And we have to recognize that meaning as a starting point in our attitude towards addressing racism. And moreover, racism against whites is not at all equivalent to racism against blacks. In fact, you can't even really be racist towards white people. And if you can, it's certainly not in the same way, either because white people as a class have power that black people don't, or because it doesn't resonate in the same way against the backdrop of American history, which has been largely one-sided in which race it targets. Race consciousness is now the dominant ideology, with respect to race among elites. If it were put to a vote, it would probably lose with the American people at large. But in elite circles, it really does dominate. A year ago, Senator Bernie Sanders said something publicly along the lines that we shouldn't be considering a politician's skin color when we're deciding whether or not to vote for him or her. We should really just look at their policies. That's an example of the colorblind ideal applied to voting. And it makes perfect sense, and it's what Martin Luther King and Bayard Rustin and other civil rights leaders would have said the next night he was mocked by Stephen Colbert for saying that. The idea being, Bernie is an old white guy expressing colorblindness, and he doesn't get it. In 2020, well this was 2019, in 2019... What it means to be woke about race now is to understand that actually, a politician's skin color does matter. If you're a figure operating at all in the public spotlight, and you say something like, well, I aspire to be colorblind, or there's only one race, the human race, you are very likely to be excoriated and have to apologize and promise to read the latest race-conscious literature. That's where we're at with respect to the colorblind ideal. And in terms of policy, race consciousness is the law of the land and has been for some 50 years. Almost every elite college in the country tracks the race of its applicants and adjusts their odds of getting in accordingly. Almost every state in the country, as well as the federal government, has programs that allocate government contracts to minority-owned businesses, and diversity and inclusion programs are now the norm. These are all ways of rejecting the colorblind ideal, some more pernicious than others in their consequences, but they all admit the truth of race consciousness in some form. Okay, so I want to talk about all of the most common objections to colorblindness. The first objection is that colorblindness is really just a way of ignoring white supremacy or systemic racism. It's not actually what it claims to be, which is a way of opposing all racism. This objection is not based on absolutely nothing. In fact, what I think it's based on is the fact that The colorblind ideal has been expressed by people who don't actually care very much about anti-black racism. You can find examples of cynical people who don't actually care about fighting racism, merely using the language of Martin Luther King to cloak their own desire to not address any of the problems that a racial justice warrior might be concerned with, like police brutality. However, the fact that there are some cynical people that use an ideal doesn't undermine the ideal itself. I'm not sure you can find any principle that hasn't been used cynically by someone somewhere. If that were a valid objection to the principle, then all principles would be wrong. Moreover, the history of American civil rights, of the fight against slavery and Jim Crow, has almost entirely been the history of activists, writers, and politicians proclaiming the colorblind ideal as the path forward, at least until the 1960s. But if you peruse the most important anti-racist literature From say 1840 until 1963, what you're going to find are brilliant men and women of many different races advocating the idea that one's skin color does not matter in the eyes of the government. For some, it was in the eyes of God or in the eyes of ethics. So the idea that the colorblind ideal is simply a way of ignoring white supremacy turns all of American history on its head.